Mouse podcast. Um, we are remote right now. Um, I'm, instead of being in my uh, kitchen, this is Sarah, by the way. Um, hi, Laura. Hi. And we have, we're kicking off our novel in verse week. This is the third time we've done it. Can you believe that, Laura? Yeah, that's I know. Kind of, it's crazy. That's kind of amazing. It really awesome. is. And I'm really excited about this this time because we have some really, really, really cool people um, who are going to be participating. Um, and the very coolest is our special guest on this episode of the podcast. Um, and it's someone who is the author of more than a dozen books. A dozen books for kids and teens, including four that are novels and verse, um, so, which are I Heart You, You Haunt Me, Chasing Brooklyn, one of my very favorite books of all time, The Day Before, and one of Laura's favorite books, um, Far From You. Um, two books that are partially in verse, two middle grade series, including the upcoming Charmed Life books, which are with Scholastic and have the most adorable covers I've ever seen. But most importantly, Friday Night Lights super fan, and one of our very favorite authors, and one of our very favorite people, Lisa Schroeder. Yay! See, Thanks. I told you that was a good introduction, Lisa. Yes, Thank it you was. So much. That was awesome. <laughs> I especially like the Friday Night Lights uh, super fan part. Of course, of course. I kept, you know, I started, I was like, how many books has Lisa written? And I started counting, I was like, holy crap, you've written a lot of books. Yeah, and you have, like, a lot coming out. You wrote a lot this past year. Yeah, I did, I have. It's been, um, it's been a whirlwind, but it's good because then that way I can, I, I don't have to, you know, we're always thinking ahead at least a couple of years. Like I'm already thinking, okay, it's time to look at 2016. I need to start thinking, what do I want to have coming out then? And like, so it's kind of nice. Like right now I can breathe a little bit for a little while because 2015 is all set. <laughs> You're kind of like a um, weird sort of time traveler then. Yes. <laughs> I kind of wish, but. <laughs> well, you can see the future a little bit. Yes. So, anyway. <laughs> yeah, publishing's just weird because it's so slow, and so we, you're always looking ahead because you finish a book, and people don't understand that it takes time. Like, it's, you know, they're always like, when's the next one come out? And, it, and we often have them written. It's just that publishing is slow, <laughs> so you have to wait, you know. Right, and I, I mean, I remember when you finished um, The Bridge From Me To You, wasn't, relatively speaking, that long ago, and is actually coming out relatively quickly. Yeah, Scholastic, yeah. Scholastic is actually re- working pretty quickly, and so that's that's been nice. I'm actually surprised that, um, I don't know why or why it's, I mean, it's still like 18 months, but that uh, sometimes you're looking at like two and a half yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it, it seems like it's really, it, that one's been really fast. Yeah, so it is nice. So we wanted to talk about verse novels because, you know, you are um, quite the prolific verse novelist. But one of the things, I mean, I know this is probably the annoying question that, like, verse novelists get asked all the time. But um, it's, is you know, why is it that verse works to tell a story sometimes? Because there's, like, a, especially, you know, when I think of your verse novels, Lisa, I can't think of them as being in any other sort of format. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's, I, a re- that's a really good, I think, compliment oh. that to, yeah. 
Um, well, I can't speak. I, I wish someday that I, I would love to like get a circle of verse novelists and hear how everyone else answers that question. Cause I can only answer for myself. And what I have found is that there are just some, um, settings or, um, situations that lend itself to that where like, you know, when I was going to write Far From You, for example, I was thinking about the um, the Newberry, I think it was the Newberry Honor winner, Out of the Dust. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, my son had to read that in like third or fourth grade. And so I read it with him because I, sometimes I do that just so that if I can help if they need it or whatever. So uh, as I was reading, I could taste, I could like taste the dust and you just felt like you were in that dust bowl as you were. You really can with that book. That's a really good book. And it's amazing. And so I had to write, uh, so what had happened after I Heart You, You Haunt Me, I had written a book that wasn't in verse and I Heart You did so well that they rejected that other book and they're like, we want something else. And so I was kind of, I was thinking consciously of, okay, what could I write about that um, would work well in verse? And so I thought of out of the dust and I thought, okay, what's the opposite of that? Snow and cold. And I'm like, I think I could do some really poetic things with that. And that's how it started in that, that story about that family who got stuck as they were traveling from Oregon to California, was had been in the news recently, mm-hmm. the Kim family. Yeah. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. remember that. I remember that. That was just a really sad story. Yeah, and so that was in the back of my mind. And so usually I have to have like a few different kind of what I call seeds of ideas to make it work. But for verse, there's going to have to be something that I can make poetic. <laughs> you know, does that make sense? Yeah. And so for me, what I learned in my agent, my agent is actually the one that put it in this phrasing that I, I'm not sure I would have come up with maybe eventually, but she said, the verse creates an atmosphere that you can't get with regular prose. And so for me, that's what it is. And so in my next one, the bridge for me to you, like there's birds that play a part and there's the small town that plays a part. And there's some things that I could do poetically, but I could not figure out how to do like the football. <laughs> it was really hard. The football part of it, like the, I don't know. They're just, it's like, so I decided, you know what, I'm not going to force it. I'll do half first and half regular <laughs> and hopefully it will work. Like, I don't know. You, I didn't want to try and force it to be poetic if I couldn't, if it just wasn't coming naturally. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, um, and I think in, in your new book, the, the verse versus the prose actually also really does so much for point of view. Yeah, well. I agree. Like, um, because the boy is like in a sense more grounded and there's, there's a, there's a different with the two characters and where they're at in their lives. Like, I think it actually kind of informs the, the contrast in a, in a really cool way. And I mean, I assume you did that on purpose. Um, yeah. I mean, once they they decided that they were going to be different, like then they, they need to be different, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's really in like the day before, like I knew the beach would be a place that I could be really poetic. And so story always has to be first. 
always. Like if you try to be too poetic and you and story suffers, readers are not going to like that. Like they they want a good story first and foremost. Um, but when writing in verse, like so, the setting and the atmosphere and all of that is what is what for me is going to make it work. But I would be interested, like, if you asked Ellen Hopkins, like, how she would answer that question. Or, you know, Sonia Stones has written more just kind of um, everyday girl kind of, you know, stories. Like, Mm -hmm. what, what for them? Like, for me, I have to have something to hold on to that I... Maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe I could do it even if there wasn't. But something that I can say, okay, that that will be easy to be poetic about, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think with your books, I feel like the ones that you've done in verse, uh, I feel like it, they lend themselves really well to verse also because a lot of the characters' lives are very fragmented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, Like all yeah. of your characters are going through like these multiple different things like Mm -hmm. Lauren and the bridge for me to you. She's been like uprooted from her old life and she doesn't know what's going to happen. And you know, there's just a lot of them are dealing with a lot of different things and their lives are going in all these different directions. So I think that verse works really well with that kind of mentality. Yeah. That's a good point. Something I might not have. Yeah. Consciously thought of. Anyway, Stasia um, Ward Kehoe is doing a guest post for Verse Novel Week, and she write wrote in um, her guest post about it's basically about how a verse can tell any story, and it was a really it's a really great guest post. So I'm looking forward. Okay, to Okay, well I'll have to read that because I'll probably learn some things. Yeah, from it. and it's mm-hmm. just, it was just a, it was it was really I and it's not very long, and she but she really like sort of hit on like how. Like if the store, if the story is, if like basically, it, and I, I wish I could, I could cite like exactly say it the way she said it, but basically, if the story is, if that verse can basically be the best form for the right story, like it's is she anyway. But her point was, it can really tell any kind of story, but it's got to be the right story for. The, like there's got to be certain elements in terms of like being evocative and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There definitely, I think there definitely has to be a story that can create emotions, like, yeah. and that mm-hmm. the verse will then help elicit that strong emotional response. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I, yeah, I think the sensory thing that you touched on is really, um, is really important as well. The, so I'm just thinking of like, you know, like in the day before, which sorry to keep citing that book, Lisa. I know comments <laughs> make you uncomfortable, <laughs> but um, like that scene on the beach with the glitter. Mm-hmm. I love that moment, and I can't imagine that scene not being in verse because it's it just captures that little moment. Which if it were not in verse, I don't know if it would be one that stuck with me the way. It has, I mean, it's been so long since I read that book and the way it just, you can feel that glitter and that moment and the specialness of that moment thanks to, and it's not just the words, but it's the way the words are arranged on the page and all of that is, um, it adds so much to that, you know, tiny moment. 
Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. <laughs> so. How was that? <laughs> that was so good, Lisa. Yes. <laughs> that was a really fun book to write because um, I think I've talked about this before, but I had just quit my job and I had some proposals rejected and I was seriously scared that I had just totally like, that my life done? that my mm-hmm. life was over and I didn't know what was going to happen. I lost an editor. And so um that's always scary. We had done three books together and the new editors who had rejected some proposals and now looking back like those proposals probably it was right to reject them and um but I was in a really like bad place. I was I I thought everything was over and I was going to have to go find another job and it was terrible. But, um, that book, when I started writing it, like I got to go to the beach and spend time with Amber and Kate. And like, it was just, it was just what I needed at the time. And, um, then it ended up, you know, selling and, and all of that. So everything, it worked out, but that book is so interesting to me because it so reminds me of like when I was 16 and growing up in Oregon, Mm-hmm. going to the beach and like all the places that they go are like places that when I was 16 and like we would instead of going to school we would go to the beach and you know that was their you know yeah chowder at Moe's and yeah you know all of that stuff it's just so it's so Oregon and I don't know if it it's and I think that's why it worked at the time because it was familiar to me and I didn't have to do research. I could just, I mean, we did go there and I did, you know, refresh my memory and stuff, but a lot of it was just sort of from memories, you know, and so that, and so, and that can be really comforting in a way when you're writing something like that. So yeah, I really like that book. I have to say. And another one I really love, that's not a book by you that has, um, that also has that sort of sensory stuff is, um, oh gosh, what's it called in the U S out of this place is what it's called in the U S and in Australia it's called, um, cinnamon rain by Emma. Yeah. And there's a number of scenes in that book, um, that just really like, there's just like one of the things that she did really well is like with sound, like urban sounds. And then there's like the sound of like a cricket match. Wow. Just the way that that um, that really sets, like, it really informs the scene, and with the rhythm of the the verse in that book, um, she does a lot of neat stuff. Like that stuck with me with the sound thing. Mm-hmm. It's just it's very memorable, and you can because um, it's sort of it's it's set in a couple of places. It's set in a small town in Australia, and then set in a city and I don't think the city is ever named but I kind of get the impression I don't think they do it's probably Melbourne but I mean you know I'm not really sure because it's it's not important what city it is it's just it's this contrast between this you know small kind of dying town and this bigger city with graffiti and car noises and all of that kind of stuff um and That's so interesting. I'll have to check that out. It's a really wonderful book. Oh, really it's really good. That. I think you'd really like it, Lisa. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's told in three different points of view as well. And um, the the verse, um, also the rhythm of it changes according to the point of view as well. Because mm-hmm. um, it's a very sort of internal book. And um, so she did some really interesting things with just all of that sensory stuff. And the, ryth- the rhythmic stuff as well. 
I, I highly recommend that if people have not read it. Um, I don't think it got a lot of buzz when it came out here, and it really should have. I don't think it did. Yeah. Because it's a beautiful little novel. So when people say to you, when you sit, recommend a verse novel and they go, ooh, what is that? Like, I don't tell them it's a verse novel. I trick them. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's so interesting that people have this instant reaction like, I'm not going to like that before they even know, before they even ever try, you know? I think, yeah, I think it's interesting, too, because um, I think part of it, honestly, is because people have an, oftentimes have an unpleasant experience reading poetry in school. Um, yeah, that was my issue. Yeah, I mean, I think that was your issue, Laura, and and that's really too bad. I mean, that's... You know, and I, I get that. I mean, I had really wonderful um, uh, teachers in high school who, you know, made poetry pretty interesting. And then my mother, who loves to quote poetry, um, just recreationally. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and also my mother, the other thing my mother was really into at one point in her life was memorizing poems for fun. Wow. Um, which is pretty funny. I should do that be- just because I feel like my memory gets worse every day. Maybe that would, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. give it a little boost or something. Um, so, but, you know, I, I, um, but if people do bulk, I always give them a spiel about how verse novels can be so great um, for, like, they're, it's not like you're getting a poetry assignment. And in fact, I think verse novels are really great for people who maybe don't read a lot or are reluctant readers because there's like, you can get lost in sort of the rhythm of it. Yeah. And there's not a lot of extraneous stuff. Like right. It's, it's very, there's something almost, I hate the word raw because I think it, like maybe it makes it sound like edgy and that's not what I mean, but there is kind of a, there's a really nice pared down feeling and I, I don't know. I kind of aggressive. I also, I have to say, I have some really clear picks when I do recommend a verse novel to people that I think are generally like winners for folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. depending, especially depending on what people like to, um, what they like to read. And so that's also why I like kind of sneak in verse novel into people's recommendations and they'll be like, I didn't know this was a book with poems. <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, but you liked it, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think sometimes with a prose novel, like a traditional novel, I think sometimes people who don't like to read get really intimidated by all the words. Yes. Um, so I think when a verse novel comes along, it can be kind of refreshing because it's not that there's – less meaning or less to think about when you read it but there is less to read right like and I think that sometimes you know like as a piano player it could be like that like I'll like you know I'll just be looking to at something because I just play recreationally now and I, I'll just look at something just for fun and I'll open it to a page and I'll be like whoa there's like too much black on this page like I can't <laughs> sight read this right now you know what I mean like yeah. and it and, like, so I'll just find something else, something else that my fingers can handle a little better, like maybe something that's not presto in tempo, you know? Yeah. But it doesn't mean that the music is less meaningful or less beautiful. It's just that there are less notes on the page. 
for me that to physically such deal a with. Beautiful comparison. <laughs> I really love is. that comparison. Yeah, it, it really is. There's something really beautiful in that simplicity. And yeah, I, 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 I really like that comparison. Yeah, that's a good way of of saying it. It's not to say there aren't complex verse novels because I, right. I there are, but there's a different. Right. Um, there's a difference, and even with the shortness of, um, because usually each, each poem sort of serves as a chapter, for lack of a better um, mm-hmm. way of putting it. Yeah. I think there's something kind of nice in, you get this sort of quick, um, payoff. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. the progress feels really, um, well, sometimes you just want a quick read, I think. Yeah. You come off of a, you know, Lainey Taylor beautiful book but huge that Uh can take you a while to read and it's nice to then pick up something that you can read in a day you know yeah definitely. Um, I think anyway so yeah yeah. verse novels are definitely actually I'm not a big rereader and verse novels are ones I also reread when I just want to like read something that I know is going to make me feel nice um, That's true or you could just read parts of it I do that right and I do that too I do too I'll just kind of, like, randomly pick one up that, like, like, I really like Love and Leftovers by Sarah Chagay, and, um, it's, it's a really thick book physically, but it's not a long book, I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say, and, like, that's just one where I can just pick it off off my shelf and just, like, randomly, like, read a few pages off of. Yeah. Kind of to, like, perk me up a little bit. Yeah. No, I, I actually, she emailed, Sarah Chagay emailed me, um, recently, and I, I sent her a fairly amusing, like, gushing email about how much I loved Love and Leftovers in response. <laughs> <laughs> she probably thinks I'm nuts now. Um, but but I do, I, that one definitely, because each, each sort of poem stands on its own. It's kind of an interesting one to thumb through, because um, it's part all part of this sort of continuous story, obviously. But there is, it's kind of cool to see them out of context as well. Yeah. Um, which is super nerdy. I mean, this is sort of hardcore verse nerding here. Yeah, it's interesting. A few years ago, um, I think it was an editor threw out on Twitter, what do you, uh, what do you all think of verse novels? And I kind of wish I hadn't seen the conversation, but I did. <laughs> and so I followed along. And so many agents and editors, because this was an editor asking, not, you know, it was a person in the industry. So other people in the industry responded. And there were a couple, I just think it's a gimmick. I don't get why you need to write in that. Like there was hardly any positive responses. And that it makes was me really sad. I know. And it was right around the time the day before came out and I was trying to figure out what to write next. And I kind of just, that's why I wrote falling for you. I needed to take a break. Like I'm a big believer in every author has to do what they need to do to keep writing. And if that means doing something different, trying a different genre, like sometimes you just, you know, whatever will keep you writing, that's what you have to do. And for me it was okay I can't take this negativity about verse novels anymore. Like I just need to do something different, but cause it did, it made me so sad and discouraged to see those responses. It's interesting to me that people would think it's, I mean, I'm not to invalidate anyone's feelings and I don't like to do that, but that people right. would be the perception that 
it's it's a gimmicky thing mm-hmm. since stories told in verse are older than stories told in prose. Right. Like but I think, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. That's part of sort of the whole canon of literature goes way back in terms of um, stories told in verse. Way back. Yeah. Like, you know, Homer sort of way back. Uh-huh. Just but back. what those people didn't, don't see mm-hmm. is me sitting at a table in Texas and the librarian next to me says, your name sounds familiar. I'm sorry. I can't quite place what you write. And I said, probably I always have to go with like the one that's most known. So I say, you know, my most well known is probably I heart you, you haunt me. And she threw her arms up in the air and said, oh, my gosh, Lisa, your books are the ones that I give to kids who come in and say, I don't like to read. Mm-hmm. And she said, I give them one of your books and they come back and they say, what else do you have like this? And so that's what that's what I think people forget is like they aren't my books work really well in middle schools. I bet you know, are. they mm-hmm. don't. They aren't going to sell as well on the retail, at the retail level or whatever. I mean, and they're not going to be as popular for adults to read, most likely, you know. And so those people that we're answering are probably the ones that, you know, love certain kinds of YA novels. And they personally don't like first novels. But that's what's so frustrating is they forget that there are, there is an audience of kids that like them. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, it, maybe I'm wrong, but it, there are a fair amount of um, verse novels for like the middle grade age kids as well. Mm-hmm. Out there. I think so. Yeah, and it seems like you don't see as much with the books for that age group with adults being like, "Oh, I don't like this." No, you're right. And I think you're right. So I wonder if there's also something to do with you know those sort of interesting and sort of complicated thing that's going on with books for teens right now with the crossover audience. Yes. And that kind of, and a lot of that has to do with just sort of with the audience for that, like the, the YA category has sort of, it's kind of fra- more fragmented than right. it has been. And so we hear things that maybe are coming from like adults who are crossing over into that. Right. Yeah. Um, because I don't, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it's a pushback from the young people. It's more of a pushback from the adults. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I don't know. That's all just perception. It's not based Yeah. On well, I don't know if it goes back to, like, being in a high school classroom, but, like, when I was in high school, when we worked on poetry, the focus was not really on narrative poetry. Uh-huh. It was on, you know, lyrical poetry is, I think, the category, you know, and it's really about not that they're not meaningful or that they don't deal with a journey in life, but they're not really like a straightforward narrative. Mm-hmm. And they focus a lot on like symbolism and things like that. And I think that like people go through that and they forget that you can tell a story with verse. Mm-hmm. I think they just like, it's just not even something that they think about because mm-hmm. I feel like when we studied Beowulf when I was younger, 
like when I was in high school, like that wasn't even part of our poetry section. No, it wasn't. Like they teach either. it separately from poetry, even though it is verse. I yeah. did it in humanities class, which was yeah, of, like crossover, like history and language arts sort of thing. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's like that's kind of crazy, actually, um, because I don't remember it really being talked about as like an epic poem Mm -hmm. per se i mean that was a million years ago so i could my memory could be completely off um but uh yeah and i do think also with adults and we have that you know like i was saying we have that bad um sort of a lot of people have that bad taste in their mouth from sort of high school english class Mm -hmm. where it was like dissecting like the structure of the poem and the symbolism of the poem and and almost not sort of seeing it almost in a holistic way mm-hmm. as like the story and the feeling and all of that that the poem is 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 creating for the reader i don't know i have a lot of theories and they could all be crap <laughs> <laughs> i think some people just don't they they don't they don't get it they're like what's the point why would you want to write like that but why not i say yeah before we started um recording i was talking about how i'd recently read um under the mesquite by guadalupe garcia mccall mm-hmm. and um that's i cannot recommend that book enough like i had said before we were recording but um that's another one of those stories like i can't imagine cause she's written in both verse and in prose um and i just can't imagine that book not being in verse and i think that's and it's a pretty like it's a fairly like it's an emotionally complex book, and she also does a lot of complex things with language and the rhythm of the story. And um, but there's something about it that's also like very accessible. And I think because she creates like this emotional immediacy that, like for me, it like sucked me into the story. Um, and I I think that's also something that happens a lot in because I know it's why a lot of people love like Ellen Hopkins books. Because they just get sucked into the emotion of mm-hmm. of her mm-hmm. writing, and the, I think the way she writes verse really informs that, like, sort of becoming like very emotionally engrossed in her stories, um, and not and I mean it's really hard to imagine her stories without thinking of them in written in the way that they're written. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Um, I'm so bad. I actually haven't read one of her books yet. <laughs> it's been a while since I've read one of hers, but um, I tend to really, for some reason, like middle grade verse novels. I don't know. I like them too. Um, I just wrote on my blog recently, my all-time favorite verse novel is probably Reaching for Sun by Tracy Von Zimmer, and it's the the uh, main character i think is 12 or 13 so it's one of those that really like the ones who read my books i can recommend it to them um easily i mean there's a little bit like very light not even romance i would call it more kind of like there's a boy and you know it's those first feelings of you know um, it's more, really, they are more friends than anything, I think. But what she does so well is, um, gardening and flowers. And so, see, she uses that the way that, like, 
there's just lots of really wonderful poetic moments around that. And she has a grandma in that story that I just love really great grandma characters of books because I loved my grandma. And so anything that like makes me have warm and fuzzy feelings about grandma, like I love <laughs> yeah. that, but. Um, but anyway, that's one. And then maybe by, um, Caroline Rose Star. That is so good. Yeah. And she has a new one coming up that I think is going to be really good. Yeah. I think not till next year, but, um, yeah, I don't know. So it's, it's strange that I do, I really, and, um, I'm trying to think there was another one I was going to mention. Um, but I also like Stacey Ward Kehoe's, um, books. The newest one or both of them? Yeah, both of them. Yeah. I really like how she incorporates things like music and dance into her verse novels yeah. because I think those are things that lend themselves really well naturally. Yes. Uh, to verse. So. Yeah. Yeah, and so she's another one that has, has taken something and, and really, like, found a way to be poetic about it. And Oh, she... Um, Carolyn Star Rose has a couple of first novels coming out, it looks like. Oh, cool. <coughs> I think Bluebirds is the one that's coming out next. And it's another historical. And I do love historicals, so that might be why, too, that... Oh, it's, it's, set, it's set in Roanoke. Yeah. Coming. Yeah, she's really, she's really good. Um, I think it's interesting how many historical verse novels there are out there. I made a list last year. There's a lot. Yeah, of, um, of historical verse novels, or maybe it was the year before. Um, but there are, it's interesting that, that historical works so well, um, for, uh, for verse. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was that one by Lisa Ann Sandell that was, um, like, during, was it uh, the Knights of the Round Table or something? Uh, what was that called? Oh, um, I know the one you're talking about. And I don't, I, yeah. And there's Crossing Stones. Which, oh, Song of uh, the Helen Spare. Frost. Yeah, that one's really good. Song of the Sparrow, yes. It was The Days of King Arthur. Yeah. I. Oh, I have to read that. I have it's, that one, and I haven't read it yet, and it's a retelling of The Lady of Shalott. Yes. Ah, I must read that. I know, which I love. Like, I love that, um, that is ballad. I mean, is that the best way of calling it? I mean, I don't know how yeah. you... Yeah. This is where I, I not quite sure is how to label that particular... Because it doesn't seem really like The Lady of Shalott is a poem. I mean, I guess it is. I think technically it is. So it wasn't Knights of the Round Table. It was King Arthur. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And um, there's that one about the Salem Witch Trials as well. And I'm, I'm not going to remember it. Um, yeah, and I liked that one. What was that? I think I love um. <laughs> But there's a lot of Wicked Girls. Yes. Is that what it was? Yes. Um, by Stephanie Hemphill. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Um, 
Yeah, it's about the Salem Witch Trials. And, um... And she's written a number of, um... A number of novels and verse as well. I didn't realize how prolific she was. Um... But she's written one about, like, she wrote, also wrote, like, a nonfiction book about Sylvia Plath. Hmm. In verse. Oh. Oh. Yeah, I got it from the library. I actually haven't read it yet, but it just looked really, because Sylvia Plath is kind of fascinating. Um, but she's written all kinds of stuff, um, kind of across all different sorts of genres, but in verse in each one, which is, I think, also kind of goes back to what um, I mentioned, like, uh Stassi Ward Kehoe had said in her blog post about how verse really can be anything. And yeah. But I think it's really great that so many uh, historicals do well with verse. Because mm-hmm. I think it makes uh, history more accessible to too. people. Which I think is really good. Totally. Because I think people feel like they can't relate to that stuff. But like then they read a verse novel, which so much of it is about like emotional immediacy. Mm-hmm. And like, and I feel like people are able to relate to those things when they read these historicals that are written in the verse format. Mm-hmm. Laura, did you have anything you wanted to um, uh, address? I know I've sort of been um, doing a lot of the talking, so no. Uh, no. I think I got through most of it. <laughs> okay. Read more verse novels, y'all. <laughs> I think that's how you ended our verse novel podcast last time. Probably. <laughs> So I, I like, stand by it, Sarah. I, I feel right. like um, since we have Lisa here, we um, there's a few important things we should ask her about. Um, first of all, you want to tell us a little bit about um, the bridge from me to you? Sure. It is um, from the beginning. Well, how it ha- how it it's funny how it came to be. Rachel Hawkins on Twitter. She, she some people are so good at just they go off on these little. I don't know what you call them. What do you call them? Or you just one tweet after another is about something. Like I'm not, I don't do that very often, but she was kind of on this little. I I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) She was on this little Twitter rampage or something. I know Laura is not at all familiar with that. (laughs) I don't want to call it a rampage because it was not anything. A thought, sort of like a stream of consciousness sort of thing. Yeah, like you just, you're having a conversation with yourself, kind of. (laughs) I don't know. You just keep tweeting over and over again as you're, like, carrying out your thoughts. So she was talking about small town life and how she just read a book. I don't know what it was. And she was like, it made me, you know, forget how much I love, like, that, driving aimlessly in the country and big skies and doing crazy shit in, out in the middle of nowhere because there's nothing else to do. And <laughs> and so I was reading I was reading these one after the that's other. That's what you do when you grow up in the country. Like you literally drive. The best thing about getting your driver's license is that you, you can drive around and right. do nothing. Yeah. Like, and that's like big fun. Yeah. So – she was, and I was kind of thinking, trying to figure out as I do, you know, what's my next book going to be about and trying to just find a way in to something. And as she was tweeting all this, I'm like, this is what I lived in high school. Why haven't I written a book like this, you know? And so that was kind of my way in. Like, what if I do a small town book of some kind? And 
And so it's really um, about, there's two main characters, Colby and Lauren, and Lauren has just moved to this small town. So when you come from a big town, I think a small town can be very <laughs> foreign-like, yes. you know. Um, and so she has just moved here, and uh, you it takes a while to find out what happened, but she's living with her aunt and uncle and her um, nieces and nephews who are all little. And Colby is uh, the star football player, one of the star football players, and they meet pretty early on. And so they, you know, it's sort of about them coming together. Um, but it's more than that because then something happens. And so it's really, I call it my small town, big dreams, uh, football is king <laughs> kind of book. <laughs> and I, what's funny is when I was a sophomore in high school, um, my little town went all the way to the state championships in football. And so we had this amazing coach, Coach Wagner, who passed out these cards that said, I believe. And so those cards um, I put in the book. And so the coach of this football team passes out. He's a new coach, and he passes out these cards just like happened with the team that went all the way to state when I was in um, high school. So I used lots of experiences like that. Um, that I felt could still be relevant today, you know, um, in this book. So it, it was fun. It was kind of like visiting the, the good parts of my um, small town high school experience as I was writing it. So, uh, and it's really good. So everybody should read it. Thank you. It comes out July 27th. My my favorite part of it is actually the dedication. I have. To say. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. I knew it. So, anyway. I dedi- I dedicated it to Sarah and Laura. In case you're listening and not understanding why she would say that, <clears throat> because there's because I also like I love the show Friday Night Lights, and I hate to say that it's anything like that because it's not. But there's just it. Their football, since football is a part of it, and you know, like, if you like that show, you might, you might understand because it's about football, but it's not about football, and that's kind of how Friday Night Lights is. But I mean, like, um, it's about the things that happen off the field as a result of that, you know, being a part of a team like that, and so. <laughs> we made a big ruckus in Powell's when we found out that you were writing it. That's right. I know. Because so <laughs> I'm always so reluctant to share what I'm working on because it just can take one little thing. Like you would not believe how many authors like stop writing because they share too much and they get a weird reaction about what they're working on. Oh, I'm and sure. It, and then it just makes you feel like you're like, oh, no. Yeah. And you can stop you like in your tracks because you doubt yourself as if you don't doubt yourself enough then you have someone else like validating that and so that your response was really great I don't know if I'd I don't think I'd finished it yet I think I was working on it and I so I just said the smallest of things and so yeah so that yeah. you guys helped me finish the book actually probably <laughs> Laura and I did make a bit of a we there was I think gasping and then there might have been like clapping clapping it was really I I'm sure everyone else at that particular event and pals probably thought we were absolute freaks um 
But did you like, I, I'm curious what you thought of um, Coach Sperry. Did he sound a little bit like Coach in Friday Night Lights at times? You know, he kind of reminded me of a guy who coached football when I was in high school. So that's what I kept, that's what I kept thinking of, yeah. actually. So, because um, uh, he was, he was, I guess, I don't, he wasn't really like a Coach Taylor type. He was more of a, I mean, he was a teacher, so he was more yes. of a... A yeah. teacher, you know, and so yeah. that's what I can. That's what I was. Um, I felt like of. in some ways he was more accessible than Coach Taylor. Mm-hmm. Not that you couldn't go to talk to Coach Taylor, but he was still always like your coach when he talked to you. Yeah, I felt like the coach in your type. book was more like somebody that they wouldn't necessarily be so scared about approaching. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. He wasn't, he's not in the book a lot, but I just, when I had to kind of write motivational little things, I, I was like, you know, cause it's hard cause some coaches are like, like I watched, I bought this thing off eBay. Um, I think it was called two a days and it was like this reality show on MTV that I don't think it ran very long. Did you guys ever hear about I've, this? I've heard of this no. So anyway, I rented this as I was writing the book for some research. And man, that coach was like, he was mean. And I, I didn't want my coach to be mean like that. Like, I know they have to be tough and everything, but come on. I just, I don't know. I'm, I felt, I, I, I feel like the best, like, I remember when my son was playing tennis. He was, he had a, he was in the middle of a match and he wasn't doing very good. And the coach called him over and I thought, oh good, he's going to give him a little pep talk. Well, no, he's like, what are you doing out there? You're, you look terrible. Like he was mean. And I'm like, that just devastated me. I'm like, like that, that's going to make someone play better. Really? Um, so I just have a thing about, I mean, I, I understand be tough and be firm and, but, Sometimes you need to say, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. a new whatever, a new quarter, a new, you know. <laughs> so whenever I had to do, like, the motivational thing, I was like, I don't want to be mean. I want to be more. And that's that's what I loved about Coach Taylor is I felt like he he was, he, he was a great, he knew how to motivate. Well, and you know what I think is amazing about that show is how he, like, I don't think the, what they did with the writing of his character over those five seasons gets nearly enough kudos. I mean, because he starts out and, like, he is very, like, queer. You're right. He, like, he, like, wants to be a big-time football coach. And there's a scene. And he is mean sometimes in the first. Yeah, in the season. first couple seasons. Like, like, he isn't very nice. He makes, you know, them takes him out and makes him run in the rain and the mud and all of that. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. This, and then, like, the third season, I mean, is so hard for him. And there's that scene. I'm such a nerd. Um, there's that <laughs> scene where he, like, I can I can practically quote the scene. That tells you how much, how many times I've watched all five seasons of Friday Night Lights. Um where it's the one where he pulls into the bar and Tammy says, like, like, what are you doing? And he's like, I need a drink. And she's like, well, we have wine at home. And he says, no, I need a, wh- a whiskey-flavored drink. And they go <laughs> in the bar and they're sitting there and he can't decide what to do. And she says this thing. She says, like, something like, you know, you're not just a coach. You're a molder of men. And, like, that is such a, like, and you can kind of see, 
Like, and they're, I mean, those two had such great chemistry. And yeah. You can see, like, just the subtle, like, they did so much with, like, them not saying anything on screen. Yeah. And you can see him sort of, like, hear her. And, like, it's such an important point in that show because it right. really changes, like, how, like, like, he I, wants, it's when he really wants good things to happen. Like, whereas it used to be he wanted, like, the <clears throat> career and, like, that shift in that series when they have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then it's like now, I mean, you can tell how well plotted that show is because it's like what, rewatching that and seeing like that scene and how much all that informs everything that happens in the last two seasons mm-hmm. and like the decisions he makes and like how it's so brilliant. It's so true because I feel like my love for him like grew tenfold, like from the last season to the first season, you know, yeah. like early on it was <clears throat> all about Riggins and, but as the season went on, I was, I just, I was like, at the, by the end, I was like coach Taylor all the way. <laughs> yeah. And like how hot, like, <clears throat> and how he really like what he wanted really changed. Like mm-hmm. he wanted by the end, he wanted to do like good in the world and like good for his family and like good for all these kids that he cared about and that's not that he was like a bad guy because he was always a good guy, but like, you know, he sort of went from being like the larger than life, like football guy to being this like person who really wanted to do like sort of put good things into the world is, and it was just yeah. like, and you could like thing, and I know like they had had like multiple trajectories plotted for that show, depending on when they got canceled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, you can really see it when you rewatch, you're like, wow, like, that is some impressive, like, you know, the sort of way, like, those long arcs were written for characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, that show isn't perfect. I mean, there's some issues with season two, but... Um, the season that shall not be named. I don't know. Oh, I will defend season two, though. There's a lot of good stuff in season two. So, <laughs> I'm just going to say... After it was that, just the one After that thing. one incident gets resolved, it yeah. kind of... And I think that incident, like, people talk about it like it lasts all of season two, but it lasts, like, three episodes. Yeah, it's not very long. Yeah, it's just, it's so... I think it just sticks out so much to people because it was so weird. It doesn't make any sense. I thought they did really well to just never speak of it again. It (laughs) never happened. Because that's what you'd have to do. (laughs) Yeah. I know whenever whenever anyone says they're watching on um, Twitter, and if they say I'm starting season two, I'm like, okay, don't give up. Keep <laughs> it gets a little weird, but it'll don't don't give up, you know. Yeah. Well, and people get really upset with Julie Taylor in that season. Also, I mean, I think people got really mad at her all the time, anyways. Yeah. But I think especially in that season, um, and I think a lot of people like to acknowledge that, like all that happened with her in season two, just like didn't really happen. I think they just ignore it. Oh, you mean like when she like starts chasing the Swede? Yeah, and then yeah. she like when when she like breaks up with Matt and stuff yeah. like that. I think people like to don't like to acknowledge that she ever did that, so they just like ignore it. <laughs> I I don't know. I kind of I mean, not that I liked poor Matt getting dumped, but I thought that was good for them. Well, I mean, he, like, left without leaving her a note in the next season. I don't see people hating no, him. about. no. Everyone's like, oh, he needed to go find himself. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so read verse novels and watch Friday Night Lights. That is the moral of the story. I mean, I don't think we could talk to Lisa without discussing the intricacies of Friday Night Lights. I mean, that just seemed, you know, 
Which, it's actually amazing the three of us, when we get together, we don't really discuss Friday Night Lights very often, and I find that really confusing, actually, in retrospect. Probably because it would, it would make us too sad all the time. Probably, but you realize um, <laughs> this week was the third anniversary of the, um, the airing, like, when it first started airing on NBC the last yeah. season. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't realize that anniversary. I missed yeah. it. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> you know what's really funny is, um, I well, because we we were talking about like I can remember being so excited when it was on True Friday Nights. I it was so exciting when they switched it to Friday Night. Yeah, it was on like some stupid. It was on like Monday or something, and like why was it on? It made no sense. And then when they switched it to Friday Nights, was that like season three? Maybe I don't know. That was like the most exciting thing that ever. Yeah, happened. to me it was exciting. I I remember. Oh, I was like, we were thrilled. Josh and I were like, it's finally on Friday night, like which is so nerdy, <laughs> you know? Because that's what I do on Friday nights is I watch TV. So that was like just awesome. Right? That my favorite. That's what we do on yeah. Friday nights too. <laughs> so it's like get pizza, watch TV. Like, what else are you gonna do on Friday night? Like leave the house? Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. Why would I do that? That sounds horrible. Um, anyway, yeah, it was, that's so funny. Um, I was actually watching Friday Night Lights last night, which was Friday. Um, they show it on this channel called Pivot. Yeah, I catch it on there. Um, so they like, and they show it pretty frequently. So I just kind of, if it's on and there's nothing else on TV and what else would there be that was better on TV anyways? So I just kind of like, I'll watch it. Like last night they had... The Thanksgiving episode of season four, oh, which is like that. a really hard episode to watch. Yeah. Yeah, Isn't it amazing? Like I can, I can turn it on and within minutes, like I'm either laughing or crying or like, like I, I like no time has passed at all. And I'm, you know, it's just so weird. That well, and sometimes you can be doing that in the same moment too. Yeah. Like you're like, Oh, this is. This is funny, and oh no, this horrible thing happened. I mean, it's really the way they played with her emotions. Tammy and Coach make me laugh a lot out yeah. loud. Yes, those two just—I mean, they—they they played so well off of each other, and like the things that like Connie Britton could do with just like she like really embodied Tammy and just yeah. yeah. And I think Landry and Matt together. Yes, they really they make funny. me laugh a lot too. <laughs> and I don't know. I feel like people don't like Landry very well, but I I always liked him. I think because he did make me laugh. We all knew a Landry. Oh yeah. I think Laura might have dated a Landry at one point. Right? No, not with his personality. <laughs> he just kind of looked like him. <laughs> so. We all knew a Landry, and you know, all, I, 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 in a lot of ways, he's like the most like real character sometimes. So, <laughs> I just watched the episode recently where he went to like kiss the girl, who then she says, "Sorry, I'm gay," or whatever she says. Oh, yeah. And oh my gosh, that was just so he put he did so well with that because, and you just felt so it was like horrifying, but. You felt bad for him, and, and it was just such a Landry thing, like for yes. not like, really picking up on that, and mm-hmm. yes, it just—I mean, because he just didn't have the best, like, sort of human, like, 
read on people. <laughs> I know. It's just so poor Landry. And like and like Jesse Plemons is like kind of like he's like in big things these days, which is very weird mm-hmm. to me. I don't think I'll ever be able to although nothing will trump his battleship role. I well, think. I mean his character on Breaking Bad <laughs> is like one hundred percent the opposite of Landry, so Yeah. And he's supposedly on like a short list to be in Star Wars. Yeah, I saw that. I don't know if that'll happen, but it's the weirdest thing. Like, I can't imagine that. But um, anyway, so. I think we just spent more time talking about Friday Night Lights than we did on verse novels. That's not right. I think. <laughs> <laughs> this is why people listen. Yeah. Um, anyway, what well, is thanks it? for having me, you guys. Uh, thank well, you, thanks Lisa. for joining us. Happy verse novel uh, week! Don't you love that I just procl- I just like proclaimed that, and mm-hmm. it is so. I can't wait to yes. read what peep what you what posts you have planned and stuff. Yeah, I'm really I'm really excited. We have some really good stuff coming up, and um, some really awesome people are um, doing are doing stuff. So it's I'm really cool. glad they are because I don't really I feel like I wrote about the things that I loved about, and I don't really know what else to write about this year. Like I wrote about Lisa Schroeder last year. <laughs> I know that was so nice. That was the nicest <laughs> blog post ever in the history. There will and nothing will ever top it. I don't think. Thanks for listening to the Clear Eyes Full Shelves podcast. Be sure to check out our book reviews, recommendations, opinion, and all around nerdy badassery at ClearEyesFullShelves.com or on Twitter at Full Shelves. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Until next time, clear eyes, full shelves, can't lose.
listening to the Clear Eyes Full Shelves podcast. Be sure to check out our book reviews, recommendations, opinion, and all-around nerdy badassery at cleareyesfullshelves.com or on Twitter at Full Shelves. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Until next time, Clear Eyes Full Shelves can't lose.